Michael, uh, lovely to meet you. Um, and thanks for taking time to do this. Thank you. Very nice to meet you and, uh, and to be here with you today. Yeah, oh, cool. Thank you. And um, it's kind of, I'm sure you get asked this all the time. You're Swiss born, obviously grew up in Switzerland, I would, I would assume, but you developed this great interest in sharks. Uh, what, what kicked that off? <laughs> yeah, that is a question I get often. Um, I always say um, it's uh, Switzerland is the country with the most sharks. Um, unfortunately, not the ones that uh, that need to be protected. Um, <laughs> I'm sure everybody will know exactly what I mean. Um, yeah, it's uh, strange when you yeah grow up in a landlocked country to be interested in the oceans and sharks and. Um, I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and um, uh, I think uh, there's a museum that's close by uh, that actually has the largest naturalized white shark in the world. Um, and so that's a museum where my, my mom would take me a few times a year. And, uh, and obviously, when you're standing in front of a, the shark, the white shark is uh, 5.89 centimeters uh, meters long. So it's a, it's a big animal um, that was caught in the 50s in the south of France. So I still remember and actually relive it now because I take my eight-year-old son and I've been taking him for, for several years to that same museum. And uh, obviously when you're small, it's even more impressive. So, And then in terms of, you know, I think uh, Cousteau definitely had a big influence on me. Uh, I mean, those were the only documentaries on, on the marine world that existed at the time. And, uh, and so, yeah, Cousteau's uh, on Sunday evening was kind of a, a, a must watch for me. Yeah, that, I just exactly the same. Uh, that, that Sunday evening Cousteau slot was, <laughs> could not miss it. it. It was just fantastic. It was interesting hearing you say um, Great White Court of the South of France in the Mediterranean. Uh, you see, not many people actually know there are Great Whites in the Mediterranean. And I do remember some years ago, uh, in fact, quite some years ago, there was what I think was obviously a Great White washed up on the beach. And the authorities just totally flatly denied it, denied it existed. It, it got shunted away and hidden and no 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 we don't have great whites here has that attitude changed now is it is it more well known certainly within the mediterranean countries that great whites are there i still think uh that all the countries around the med are still working actively um to not promote that um so they've worked really hard to to kind of no no there's no white sharks in the mid when actually the largest white sharks ever you know caught were among in, in the mediterranean so uh, but it's obviously not a very good advertisement when you're trying to attract tourists who uh, who come to the beach and and enjoy the summer so uh, but I think it's, it's, it's better known, but I still remember when I was 16 years old, I went on holidays with my parents in Greece and, and I, I picked up this, this, this book of, of sharks in the Adriatic and, uh, and there was a picture of a white shark in there. So, uh, I mean, they, they do occur all around. Um, obviously there's no, no more any large seal colonies that kind of act like a magnet on them. So, so there is, you know. 
I mean, the, the, the place between uh, Tunisia, uh, Sicily and Malta is kind of the, the one that's best known in, in, in the Med for, for having white sharks uh, due to probably the, the, the big uh, tuna fisheries that take place there. So it's a, it's a good attractant. But uh, so, yeah, chances of actually seeing one, I know many expeditions have have tried, um, but um, yeah, <laughs> to see one um, hasn't hasn't been successful yet. <laughs> the area you've just mentioned, I always understood that to be um, almost like a, a breeding area for great whites. Is is that the case, or was that uh, fiction? You don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm always know? a bit. Do I mean, there's there, there's so many. Uh, Hypotheses that are that are done by by scientists and and, uh, and other people uh, about you know breeding areas and uh, of white sharks and I mean to be honest the the one that's probably the most likely is 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 somewhere in Southern California uh, they they seem to catch and and see um, a lot of juvenile uh, white sharks uh, but all the others are are pure supposition I think at this stage I mean there's there's no direct observation that's been made and and yeah when you're considering that those sharks can move you know when they're born they're already bigger than most sharks and <laughs> uh, so starting and, and we know they move a lot um, I mean, at the moment there's the the white shark uh, nukumi that's uh, you know that's uh, that's been tracked uh, across the the atlantic ocean um so, uh, so I mean, they move a lot. So even if you see a juvenile somewhere, it doesn't mean that that shark couldn't have traveled, you know, several hundred kilometers uh, from where it was born. Um, so, so, yeah. In fact, you were you were doing genetic um, tagging and film printing, um, and put an association between Australian and South African sharks. Yes. Um, that's a huge distance. That's fantastic. I, what was the relationship there? I mean, were, were sharks actually doing that journey and back again, or uh, what was happening? So um, I was lucky to, to go to South Africa in 97. Uh, and um, my first, I mean, this was a, this, South Africa is the, was the first country to protect white sharks. Uh, that was done in 91, uh, purely on a precautionary level, uh, simply because less and less of the large white sharks were, were being caught in those years. And fortunately with uh, Dr. Leonard Campagno and, and others, they basically really, you know, made the government protect those, those white sharks. And um, so when I came in, it was a, I mean, it was a, it was a perfect timing because there were, there was no research conducted on, on, well, on any sharks in South Africa, really. Um, the only researchers there were at the Natal Sharks Board who were working mainly with uh, dead sharks. Um, so it was really a, a great place to, you know, the tourism was in its infancy. Uh, so uh, my, my aim was to look at the population of, of white sharks because obviously it was, the protection was based on a precautionary level, uh, but we had no idea, uh, you know, what the population size of, of those white sharks were. So. Initially, I was tagging the sharks, um, but that didn't work really well because those tags would, would fall off fairly quickly and would get covered with algae and you couldn't read them anymore. So I, being an avid photographer, I obviously took pictures of those white sharks, as you can imagine, and, um, and very quickly saw, wow, they had really beautiful and very distinctive fin, fin patterns. Um, so I basically 
adapted what people have been doing on, you know, dolphin cetaceans in general for decades uh, and adapted it to white sharks. Um, the first step was obviously to, to make sure that you could identify the individual white sharks over a longer, you know, a fairly long period of time. Uh, and that's a technique I called fin printing um, with regards to the, you know, fingerprint, fin print. And um, yeah, then uh, a few years later, we, had, we were very lucky to have uh, Dr. Ramon Bonfil, uh, who was at the time working at the WCS in New York. Um, and he managed to find a sponsor to, uh, to basically come with, with satellite tags, which they're still very expensive today. And um, in those days, it was, uh, you know, just as expensive. <laughs> and South Africa, obviously, with the economy and, and you know, the value of the RAND, uh, unless somebody from out from you know overseas would come, it would, would not have been possible. So we managed to tag about fifty white sharks uh, in a period of three years, and you know most of them didn't do much. I mean, some of them just basically traveled a few hundred kilometers uh, along the coastline. What we were really trying to find out is, well, it's great to have white sharks protected in South Africa, but. Do they move outside of the international of, into the international waters and and you know on the on the west uh, side of South Africa you have Namibia and on the east side you have Mozambique and neither of those countries are protecting white sharks so so we wanted to show that they are not which is obvious but respecting national boundaries and um, we had two sharks that swam into international waters and then into Mozambican waters, which was uh, already, you know, great because that's what we really tried to, to show. And then we had one, one white shark that did uh, an incredible uh, journey and um, it was with a pad tag. So it's a satellite tag that doesn't transmit while it's on the shark. It's basically programmed to stay on the shark for a, for a certain time. Um, and during that time, it records the, the water temperature, the water depth, um, and has a light, little light sensor, which basically records the approximate sunrise and sunset time. And when you compare this time to an internal clock, you can then estimate where that shark is on the planet. So it works really well when the shark is moving east and west, less so when it's moving you know, um, north and south. Um, and then this tag uh, pops up and then it, it, it sends all this data it accumulated uh, via satellite back to the scientist's uh, desktop. And so this shark we tagged and um, it was in, uh, I think it was on the 7th of November 2003. And the tag was basically scheduled to detach itself on the 28th of February 2004, so three and a half months later. And I still remember I was at sea. Uh, on my little research boat surrounded by white sharks and Ramon calls me from New York and he says, you will never guess where the shark popped up. And uh, literally it popped up a few miles from the coast of Australia near Ningaloo Reef. Um, so, so yeah, an incredible journey. And, um, and yeah, the story didn't end there. Um, I mean, that in itself was amazing. Um, uh, but then uh, it was a shark that I knew well. Uh, she was basically, well, at, that at the time of tagging, she was just over four meters long. Um, and uh, I had known her for five years. And she came to the area I was working around Dyer Island every year between, she would arrive in July, August and, and kind of, you know, 
she wouldn't stay for, for, for a very long time, but I would see her on multiple occasions until November and then she would disappear again. So, so when Ramon told me that, I was like, hmm, she'll be back here uh, in about six months um, in July, August. And uh, on the 20th of August, uh, she, she came back to South Africa. So she did that journey, that return journey across the Indian Ocean in, uh, in nine months, uh, which is, you know, which is yeah, quite incredible. And obviously it's, uh, you know, coming back to your original question about, you know, why do they, I think that was the question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a, a long introduction to come no, to no, the, no, no, no. So, you know, I mean, animals don't, uh, they don't just travel for fun like we do, uh, or like we used to be able to, <laughs> should I say. Yeah, uh, they, um, you know, there's, there's multiple reasons. I mean, one of the reasons would be that there is no food available where they are. Uh, so they have to migrate to find, you know, uh, the resources they need. Um, when you look at, you know, Australia and South Africa, the conditions are very similar. I mean, the, the, you know, the food availability is very similar. Both of them uh, present like rich waters with, with a lot of fish, with, you know, marine mammals uh, for the occasional snack. And, and then the other, re the second reason will be for, for you know, climate. Um, again, uh, white sharks are probably one of the most widespread species of sharks. Um, you, you know, they, they, you can find them in, in most temperate uh, to even tropical waters. Um, and the situation between Australia and, uh, well, southern Australia and, and South Africa is fairly similar too. So that's also another reason to, to go on a 20 plus thousand kilometer journey in, in a few months. And then the other, the third reason animals you know, migrate is reproduction. So I, you know, that's kind of the only one that's, that's left with us. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, I'm guessing that's the reason exactly what, uh, you know, did she mate in South Africa to give birth in Australia or vice versa? Uh, that, you know, we, we don't have the answer. But the one thing, you know, I, the sad thing with, with this shark that we named Nicole uh, after Nicole Kidman, is that I had seen her for six years, uh, every year on a very specific pattern, and then um, and then she disappeared, and she's never been spotted again. Um, so, and the last time we spotted, we we estimated her at about 4.3 meters long, which is just just short of what we believe white shark female white sharks to be to to be sexually mature. Um, so yeah, it was a very sad kind of, uh, you know, did you do this journey uh, every year? Um, or was this just a once-off? Uh, I mean, the pattern being so, so repetitive over six years kind of made me think maybe, maybe she's done this, you know, every year, maybe she went to Australia every year. Um, but then when she didn't come back, obviously the, you know, this crossing across the Indian Ocean is a very perilous journey. I mean, you have... You have millions of uh, long line hooks uh, in that in that ocean. You have you know you have nets. You have I mean there's there's you know targeted fisheries for sharks, targeted fisheries for tuna, where sharks obviously are huge bycatch. Um, so it's a very dangerous journey. So obviously there is a, a chance that uh, that she you know on that when she left in November of 2004, that's the last time I saw her. Uh, maybe if she did go back to Australia. 
maybe that's that's a journey that ended her life journey. Um, on the other hand, I'm, I'm you know I'm always trying to be an optimist, and uh, one of the last uh, few weeks before she disappeared, she she had some really big bite marks on the on the on the on the side of her of her body near the gills and and as you know uh shark mating is uh, is one where i definitely prefer to be a male than a female um because when you don't have any hands and you have to uh you know uh mate in water you have to hang on somehow um and sharks uh, that you know can be i mean maybe you've seen some footage of, of other shark species mating um and usually the male basically bites the female um, on the on the pectoral fin to hang on uh, for the for the yeah for the mating to take place. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe she just became sexually mature. Maybe she made it with a South African shark and then did maybe that journey back to Australia or somewhere else. Um, and um, and then maybe with with maturity her pattern changed and. Maybe she's living somewhere else now, maybe in New Zealand, maybe in Australia. Um, but I know that many eyes are out there to, to look for that fin of, of, of White Shark Nicole because she had a very distinctive fin, so one that you could definitely recognize. It'd be great to think she's still out there, but what one can <laughs> only hope. With um, reproduction, um, so great whites give birth to live young. Um, yes. How long uh, is that then? Uh, it's just we had a, I had a conversation the other day about parenthood and uh, um, that infinity between mother and, and baby. So, with the great whites, is there any connection after birth or do the babies just disappear or, or do they hang around mother for a while? Uh. There is no species where there is uh, any parental care once the babies are born. Uh, so I would be very surprised if in white sharks that was any different. Um, but of course, I mean, you know, it's often something that I also like to say is uh, with, well, with sharks in general, but especially white sharks I and mean, the shark from Jaws. Um, uh, a lot of people have this impression that we, you know, we have entire books written about white sharks and, uh, there are books, but uh, there are some, you know, many, many things we still don't know about that species. Uh, and, uh, and nobody has ever seen a white shark giving birth or two white sharks mating. So, like I said earlier, it's like we, we simply at this stage have no observation of, of, of either of those uh, behaviors. So, um, you know, one of the best known species of sharks is the lemon shark, uh, through the work of uh, Dr. Le uh, Samuel Gruber, um, who passed away a, a couple of years, and uh, he established a Bimini Biological Field Station in the Bahamas, and he's basically, he was studying, you know, lemon sharks for 40 years, and, and that little island of Bimini is a nursery ground for those sharks, so... So he's seen the live birth, he's seen the mating, in, uh, well, not the mating, the live birth of, of, of lemon sharks. And, and I've swam many times with those babies who basically live for the first five years of their life in, you know, in or very close to mangrove tree roots, um, basically hide them away from many larger predators. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then after five years, they start, you know, moving out into the lagoon and exploring. And after 10 years, when they reach sexually, 10 or 12 years, when they reach sexual maturity, they'll, they'll move out. But in, in lemon sharks, the, the, the pregnant female is actually physiologically inhibited to, to eat a, a couple of weeks before and a couple of weeks after giving birth. And, and that purpose is for her not to eat her own young once they're born. So, um, you know, I doubt very much that a white shark would swim around with, uh, with his few pups uh, once they're born. That would be a nice <laughs> sight. But, uh... <laughs> yes, indeed. That makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I'm very, I was very I mean, sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I think, I mean, sharks, uh, you know, country of, of human babies who are completely useless uh, and could not survive without us. Um, I mean, you know, if anybody who's seen a baby shark, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's just basically, you take the big one and you just basically downscale it. Um, its teeth are, are super sharp um, and, you know, they're perfectly attuned to their environment already. So they adapt to protect, you know, using the environment. But, um, but I mean, they're perfect little predators already when they're born. So, so there is not much need in, in parental care there. And, and a white shark, you know, I mean, again, we, these are estimates from the largest embryos that were found in pregnant females that were, were caught and the smallest white sharks caught. But it is estimated that they're born between 1.2 and 1.45 meters long. So this is, this is a big shark uh, when it's born. It's already bigger than, than many other sharks. Um, and uh, so I think uh, from that point of view, it's, it's you know, the ones that, that, that actually are born have a, have a good chance of surviving. Yeah, uh, uh, of course. I, I was sorry to hear you say Sam Gruber died. Um, we spent quite a long time there on his research station at Bimini uh, making a film for BBC. And uh, yeah, it was quite a remarkable place. I mean, the research going on there was excellent. Um, and Bimini itself, uh, the island was fantastic. There was this old hotel which nobody lived or stayed in, and I, I should imagine it's all built up by now as, as as things are. But without Sam, I assume the research is still going on anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, he he kind of. I mean, he you know he was uh, he was fairly ill the last few years, and um, and you know he was also getting uh, to a certain age, but uh, so he, he made sure that his legacy would continue and uh, uh, Matt, Matt uh, Smuckle has basically taken over, uh, just, I think uh, just over a year before he passed away. So, so the transfer happened and, uh, and yeah, the place is, you know, this is where I started. Um, that my first experience in shark research was, was there as a volunteer uh, in the, in the mid nineties and, yeah, for me, Bimini is my favorite place. Um, uh, always will be, and uh, it has uh, changed a lot. Um, there's a huge hotel development and resort that developed there, and, and oh, really? My goodness! Know, right. right. Yeah, it destroyed a lot of the a lot of the mangroves in the in the north northern part of the island. But the research is still going on, and they yep. expanded now to uh, not just lemon sharks, but tiger sharks, bull sharks. The you know the Bimini has become famous for the for the great hammerheads um, that are that are, can be seen there during the winter time. So uh, 
and yeah, uh, they've also you know included more of the ecosystem. So um, uh, you know, looking at the mangroves and 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 all the all the habitat basically. So no, it's a, it still is a great place and. And yeah, some really interesting research. And, and, you know, one of the things that has developed in, I would say, in the last 10 years, I find very interesting because I still remember, you know, working with, with white sharks in South Africa, um, you get to know those animals. And, and, you know, you're sitting there day in and day out on a small little boat. I didn't have any cage on my boat. The boat was too small. <laughs> and, um, but it was very small. So I was very close to the water, very close to the sharks. And, and uh, especially those sharks that would, you know, return every year, you kind of like expect them and you look forward to seeing them. And, and just basically when you spend that amount of time and those white sharks just had, in those days, I, I think those white sharks had personalities. Uh, you know, you'd have the, the white shark that just stayed away. And, and you know, if, if you didn't make any noise in the boat, he would approach a bit. Uh, but he would always be very cautious. And then you have another white shark that would come and, I mean, some of them, I think, wanted to make love to my boat. Um, they just they just always came to the surface. I mean, they poked their heads out of the water to kind of look at us. And, uh, you know, you could, you could remove the bait from the water and they would stick around for an hour just circling the boat and poking their heads out. And just, just as curious as we were for them, they were curious to what this was. Um, so, and in those days, it was kind of like uh, personalities and, you know, yeah, maybe in chimpanzees and maybe dolphins, but uh, sharks. Um, and in the last 10 years, the, the Shark Lab um, has really, uh, several projects that, 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 you know, were started on the personality of, of lemon sharks. And uh, it's now fairly, you know, commonly accepted that those sharks have personalities uh, that obviously have an influence on, on their behavior, um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's it's really a, it's something that I'm really happy about because it's a, it kind of you know for some people, I would say for the large public, it's they always look at sharks just as these you know primitive creatures, and and suddenly when you have something that shows personality, it also obviously is linked to intelligence to a certain level, and and then it kind of became it comes uh, more approachable in a way, so. So yeah, no, <laughs> great place to uh, to be in. I think I think personality-wise, there are very few species I've ever come across, land or or sea, that have not had a personality. I agree. Uh, and it's you only have to take that little bit of time to look for it, and and it's there. I had um, something I, I'm so, sure you've seen. Uh, I mean, the the movie that just won the Oscar. Um, you know the the my octopus teacher uh, ah, you know um and it's funny how i mean i i, I love that that documentary or, or film um and i think it's it's especially so nice because we really don't live in a very in a very easy world at the moment um uh, not even talking about the virus but many other issues that that we'll have to face uh and it's so nice to see a documentary that's that's so positive and and so nice and has a you know it's just a uplifting movie and um, talking with a few people um, I realized that you know, some people like didn't get it um, and and um, it's like oh this was this is stupid uh, and 
yeah, some, some, and I was like, at first I was like, how can you not like this? I mean, it's positive. It's a nice story. It's beautiful images. Of course, the story is really well told. And, and then I, I, you know, coming back to what you just said, I think it's just, there are people in this world who have never had a connection to any animal or, you know, nature in general. And, and if you haven't had that, then uh, it becomes very difficult to, to look into the eyes of a, of a fish or, or any other animal and kind of see that there is something there beyond just, you know, breathing and, and, and mating. So, uh, so yeah, no, I agree with you. I think most animals, uh, you know, have personalities and, and probably more. Yeah, it, 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 it's so true. And it's, as you're saying, the people just don't take the time to look for it. I, I just, it just reminded me of um, the Bimini talk. Um, my associate who I was filming with there at the time uh, actually got a, a, a quite a serious um, shark bite from a lemon shark. And he always tells his story when he goes into the pub. And it's at the end of the story, he brings up his thumb and just around his thumb is this perfect, neat little row of scars. And what he fails to tell everyone is the shark was only that long <laughs> that bit him. And it, it was just after it was born and came out and he, he went to like touch it and it just went, dunk. And it was... So yeah, he, that's probably the most, uh, most dangerous. <laughs> I know, I know, but he dies out on it quite a lot. <laughs> with, with research, with re, um, especially shark research as well, I mean, the thing that as I see through, through my life is research continues on and on and on, and still we keep losing species or, or great numbers uh, of animals of all sorts two things really um is research actually contributing still to the possible survival of other species uh, um do fisheries governments actually take enough notice to act on what on what you're you're telling them Yes, definitely. I think, I mean, uh, research is, is, you know, I, I personally moved out of research uh, to be more involved in, in conservation and communication, but research is absolutely essential um, because it's the only thing that can, you know, that give, it gives you the foundations to actually have some changes taking place in, uh, in the fisheries and, uh, and in, in, you know, the large, um, the important conservation uh, conventions that exist, whether it's CITES um, or, you know, um, or others. So, no, it's, it's definitely, uh, yeah. There's a, the, the problem is, obviously, there is 1,250 plus species of sharks, rays and chimeras in the world, known at the moment. There's new ones added every year. Uh, and a lot of the research has taken uh, for a long time place on a very few species. Um, you know, the more charismatic ones, uh, the more easily accessible ones. Um, and that has changed, I think, in recent years where, where there is, you know, species that kind of were neglected uh, for, for a long time by scientists that are now investigated. But the problem still remains that for the lot, you know, 
vast majority of species, there is very little information, I mean, research going on. Um, you know, I'm not even talking about the, all the deep sea sharks, which are virtually impossible to study. Um, and then, of course, at the moment, it's a problem that uh, that's difficult to do research on some of those species that are, you know, which population are already doing really badly. Um, so, no, I, I definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely convinced that research is, is primordial. Um, but, you know, it's the same as you could, you could, you could see this with your question, basically the same happens with climate change. There is so much research that shows what's happening. Uh, and yet politicians and, and, you know, economists and et cetera, et cetera, uh, still find that 0.1% uh, of research that basically suits their purposes. So with fisheries being a multi-billion dollar industry, um, uh, you know, with, I mean, every, you know, most countries that have fisheries are, are heavily investing in them to, to support them. Otherwise they would die off. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, money talks, unfortunately. So, um, so, so yeah, no, research is, is essential. Without research, you can't have any proposals to, to list the species on, on CITES. Um, but yeah, it takes a long time. And, and at the same time, you know, research on, on sharks is, is fairly, and when I say sharks, I mean sharks and rays and chimeras, but um, it's very recent. I mean, it's, you know, it started in, in the 50s. So it's, it's the history of shark research is 70 years old. So, um, so no wonder that we don't know as much as we know on, on, on other things. And plus, obviously, the difficulties of, of um, you know, of simply going, you know, exploring the water. I mean, the first 50 meters, fine, we can go on scuba, but anything below is, is fairly inaccessible by, by most people. So, so yeah. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. It it worries me, or worries me. It um, strikes me often that in the future, species will go extinct. I think you know consumerism still demands a huge toll from uh, the seas, um, and you know someday it won't be there, but we'll know all about it. You know, so oh, that species, here's all the facts, here's all that, this is what it was. Um, but it's not here anymore, but here's all the data. And I, I find that very sad. I find it's, it's, but it is down to people power. It's, it's the consumer yeah. buying the products. I mean, I know a lot of it goes into fish meal for uh, animals and other things, but basically it's a consumer going to the, to the shops. I think it's a, uh, you know, it, I, I mean, always when I give presentations and so on, I, I uh, you know, I, I always talk about, well, I usually start, especially when I talk with kids, I, I ask them the question. So, you know, what's your favorite animal? And, um, and you know, there's various animals that would come out, and dolphins, of course, and then there's always the dinosaurs. Um, and, uh, you know, then it's, it's a good, good way to, to come into that subject because then I said, so have you seen a di dinosaur lately? And of course not, but, and then I asked him, so do you know, do you know when dinosaurs appeared? Um, and you know, dinosaurs appeared 250 million years ago. They disappeared 65 million years ago. So it's amazing. It always amazes me how many people find dinosaurs fascinating because the human 
species has never seen a dinosaur. Um, in, you know, fortunately, in a way, we wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, and there you have an animal, I mean, sharks, uh, they've been around for 400 million years. And they're still alive today. In those 400 million years, they survived four of the five mass extinctions that happened on this earth, where, you know, up to 98% of, of any animal and plant life disappeared on this planet. Um, and here we come, humans, and in, you know, less than 100 years, we, uh, we basically bring many species, many populations of sharks and rays and other, many other animals and plants to, you know, to the brink of extinction. And uh, it's, it's, for me, it's, you know, we, we always uh, kind of portray the human species as this advanced uh, super species uh, that, you know, yes, we can go to the moon. Yes, we'll probably go to Mars. Um, yes, we, you know, we're talking here thousands of miles away uh, over a computer. It's all amazing, but you know, for me, the, 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 you know, this, if we, if we, any species we lose is, is, is a bad record for our species. Uh, and um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely something that I find uh, sad. And obviously things are moving, moving really quickly at the moment, um, you know, between uh, degradation of, of habitats, between overfishing, that's, you know, keeps on accelerating and, and also especially fishery, I mean, commercial industrial fisheries is now moving into, into the deeper water of the ocean where we, have, where we know nothing about. We know more about the moon than we know about, you know, the deep waters of, of the ocean. So, and here we allow, you know, fisheries and, and um, you know, people looking for, to exploit the, the, the resources that are found down there in, in heavy metals and, and other resources. Uh, and then obviously climate change and, you know, there's, there's many problems that face us. And, uh, you know, one of those will probably kill us uh, if we don't act. Um, you know, with, with, with sharks, uh, sharks, something that's, that survives 400 million years, you know, they appeared at the more or less at the same time as trees appeared on land. Um, that's how old they are. And something that survives that long serves a purpose. Nothing, nothing survives for 400 million years with no purpose. So, and you know, you're a diver. Uh, I've dived in places where I've on reefs and so on, where I haven't seen a single shark. And to me, like, that's the first thing that like, oh, there's something wrong here. This is not a national ecosystem. Um, this is not going to work for long. So, so sharks have a, a you know an important role uh, in playing in an ecosystem, in regulating it, and in keeping it healthy. And uh, you know, some people say if sharks disappear, uh, the oceans will die. That I'm not so sure about. But uh, um, but you know, there there is some there is some possibilities in there that you know the the, the trickle down effect of regulating from the top. You know, if sharks disappear, uh, some people announce that there will be a, an explosion of jellyfish and so on, because basically what's, what's coming from the top doesn't exist anymore. So, I mean, we simply don't know, and we're playing with fire. Um, I think we're, say, we're, we're seeing that already. I mean, uh, certainly here. Um, since the predators, top predators, are uh, uh, disappearing, thinning out, um, jellyfish 
uh, and predators of jellyfish, you know, turtles, everything else. The amount of jellyfish I'm seeing now every year is just increasing a lot. Yeah. And uh, of course, it makes perfect sense. You know, their, their reproduction ability is remarkable. Um, so if nothing's going to keep them under control, then next time we go to the beach for our Sunday swim, it's going to be like North Australia. You can have to wear a suit for jellyfish protection. It's, yeah. and, th and those sort of facts rarely come out on media so that general populations get to learn about this stuff, um, which is very frustrating indeed because the media only likes to report big headlines, you know, the, the, it's, which, is, which is tragic. Diving, diving with sharks, I, I, I still, even after all these years, just get an absolute thrill with if, when I see a shark underneath. Uh, is it the same for you still? Do you, do you still do you oh. get a buzz from it? <laughs> well, especially now, I think it's the longest period in, uh, in most of all, in my adult life that I have not seen a shark. Um, well, it's been a year and a half nearly. So uh, I f sometimes feel like, uh, like my dog when, uh, you know, when you go for a walk and especially when you go to the lake and, and he shakes all around from the, so yeah, no, I, I'm definitely, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my favorite place in the world is when I'm down there, whether it's on scuba or just snorkeling and, and surrounded by sharks. Yeah, it is a hell of a feeling. It's, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it kind of sets up your adrenaline for the day. I mean, even if you know you're quite safe, you still get very excited. I, I, I absolutely love it. Okay, it's been yeah. fantastic um, chatting with you. Thank you uh, again for, for sharing all that with us. Um, What's next in line for you, um, research-wise? Uh, you've got something that you're particularly looking at? Uh, well, like I said, I've kind of moved out of research, so, uh, oh, so okay. I'm more in, into the conservation. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm still involved with, uh, with a project that basically looks at uh, the fake printing data. So I, I've worked for the past decade with different people, but then I found the right people in, in, in Bristol who basically um, developed a, 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 a software-based system uh, that, a, that is able to, to recognize a fin in the picture and then identify that shark and match it to, to all the others. So we started with South Africa. So all the people who have worked in, with white sharks in the past, uh, for the past 30 years have basically thrown in all their data into that, uh, into that system. And... Um, and so that's still a project I'm, I'm, I'm busy with. Not, you know, I, I obviously gave all my data in there. And, and uh, uh, so, uh, so at the moment, it's more kind of completing some of the data that's still missing out of, out of that data. But so that's one of, the, one of the projects I'm still involved in actively. And then I serve on the board of directors of the Bimini Biological Field Station. So that keeps me also uh, in, the, in the game there. And, uh, and I'm also, uh, that's a... I mean, those positions are all volunteer, but I'm also uh, on the uh, IUCN shark specialist group uh, and handling their communication. So, uh, so yeah, and obviously working with, uh, with, you know, many researchers that are around the world. Um, but yeah, so in the future, I'm, uh, I'm looking to my next adventure at the moment. It's a bit difficult with, uh, with the virus that kind of limits your, your travel abilities and, um, 
but uh, I definitely uh, hope to remain active in, in that field because I think that's, you know, that's, I, I, I just want to make a difference uh, where, where I can. Uh, so. Amazing. Yes, fantastic. Well, I, I, I hope it's not too long before we manage to get in the water. Um, we're just starting. Uh, our lockdown is finishing here theoretically on the 17th of this month. So, you know, people will be getting into the water again uh, on, on full scale. So is it the same for you? Have you, have you got long to look for uh, before you... We never, can, is it travel? We, we, never had a, we never had a lockdown here. Um, so we always were kind of in semi-confinement. But, um, mm. but yeah, so no, I, I mean, I can go there, dive in, in Lake Geneva, but um, um, unless I get some of my... Uh, genetics uh, scientist to uh, to genetically modify a shark to uh, to live in Lake Geneva I'm not going to see a shark first <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's, it's obviously still difficult to travel so travel is yeah, a thing is and also a bit you know at yeah. the moment I think it's uh, it's best to stay where we are each of us and and not spread our virus to uh, especially to places where where they've been fairly immune to it, not, not immune in the sense of the virus, but just where they haven't been impacted yet. So um, I think it's, uh, yeah, but you know, at least one hour with the vaccines, we can see the end of the tunnel, um, which I'm hoping comes up uh, swiftly and uh, I will definitely be back in the water as soon as possible. Uh, well, finger, fingers crossed for that. And um, yeah, brilliant. Well, look, you take great care. Good luck with the future. And um, thank you again. Great to talk with you and uh, yeah, fantastic. Have a good day. Thank you, you too. <laughs> Bye now. Bye-bye.